37. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so uh, Numbers 25 to 28, and what we're going to see here in these uh, four chapters is that the bigger they are, the harder they fall right? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. What do I mean? Well, last time we left off on this high note, we had this pagan sorcerer prophesying and proclaiming blessings for God's people that connected with the promises of God made in the past and foretold of what would come in the future. Now, hear this. Now we have the people (laughs) prostituting themselves with pagan gods, particularly this God Baal or Baal of Peor. And the Bible often, bro, often startles its readers by the way it juxtaposes the brightest of revelations and the darkest of sins, right? So remember, you know, God gives the law at Sinai and it was followed by the making of a golden calf, right? We remember the ordination of Aaron and the priests in Leviticus 8 through 9. And then right after that, we have, you know, Nadab and Abihu, his sons being destroyed and judged. We have the covenant with David later in 2 Samuel. We'll see that later. And then David Sin. So just over and over, we just have this uh, uh, way that the scriptures are trying to show that, man, even at the point of highest revelations, we have some of Israel's deepest sins. Right. And I think here in Numbers 25, what the Bible is trying to show is once again that, you know, idolatry is still and will be the number one sin on the market. It is the number one sin on the market. How do we know this? Well, we see this over and over and over played throughout scripture, right? And we remember in the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is have no other gods besides me, right? And what scripture wants to show us is that all of our immorality always comes back to idolatry, right? All of our immorality in some way comes back to idolatry. It is putting something else in the rightful place that only God deserves, and so we see here in Numbers 25 that people are going to get judged. <laughs> God is holy. He's not somebody to play with. He does not play the radio. And God is going to judge 24,000 people, right? And, you know, we're going to see also this guy named Phineas come up. You know, um, there's still going to be even more idolatry and more uh, uh, breaking of God's laws. And Phineas is going to exercise what the scriptures are going to call this zeal and how it was expressed in these days and that he executed a man. And I think the Bible or I know the Bible here is trying to be descriptive, right? It is not being prescriptive, right? It is describing what took place historically, not prescribing uh, ways we are to act in this present age under the new covenant with the Lord Jesus. And so um, this is a militaristic war culture, right? And so this was the way things were. And we so we see this zeal that Phineas is going to have for uh, God's holiness. So I do think the principle though, right? This, this zeal for the holiness of God, where we uh, seek to uh, with vigilance, right? Guard God's commands and what he calls us to do uh, should be in this present age. But notice what he does here is reminiscent of what Paul does, right? What Paul is one who said, I was zealous for the Lord. He'll say that in Philippians. And you remember in Acts that he was persecuting uh, believers, those he thought were rebelling against the one true God. The Lord opens his eyes and he becomes the greatest apostle in Christian history. Numbers 26 comes. And in Numbers 26, we're going to have this census, right, uh, of the second generation. So remember, I talked about before that the sensei, 
<laughs> the sensei uh, bookends the book, right? So you have at the very beginning the census of the first generation that came out of Egypt. And then here in 26, you're going to have this census of the second generation that is about to go into the land. And again, I talked about this death to resurrection theme, right? Luke 24, Jesus is going to say the entire scriptures prophesy the suffering of the son of man and the, his glories that will follow his death and his resurrection. And we see that um, in a foreshadowing type of fashion, Israel will foreshadow Jesus, right? It will die. Israel, the whole first generation died out. And then the second generation uh, raises up um, to life where there was none. And so we just see here that God is going to give a census, hear this, of the second generation. Why is this important? Because it comes on the heels of 25, right? And it is juxtaposing the holiness of God and the graciousness of God, right? That even though Israel's sin is great, God's grace is greater still, right? He will still fulfill the promises he made way back when to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is good news for us, right? This is good news for us that even when our sin abounds, God is going to show that his grace is greater, right? Our sin is no match for the mercy and grace and power of God. And so at the end of 26, he's going to say, yo, the Lord has said to them that they would all die in the wilderness, talking about the first generation. None of them was left except Caleb and Joshua. And so Caleb and Joshua um, will be the ones who bring Israel into this land. God is still going to give an inheritance to his firstborn son, um, even though they have not acted as if God is their father. And so in chapter 27, He's going to address even more the idea of an inheritance for the people of God. And in those days, um, in those days, if a family had a son, the firstborn son usually would be given the land inheritance and all of the father's possessions. And so there's this case that is brought up to Moses here where the Lord is trying to say, hey, in the event that a father dies, right, and he can't pass his inheritance onto his kid or his son because he doesn't have a son i want you to give the inheritance to the daughters why is this important because we see here too god's care for the fatherless right remember that god in the old testament over and over and over god is going to talk about on almost every page his care for the widow right the orphan right the poor right and the immigrant and here we see the orphan being take, taken care of and God is going to show his fatherly nature in the way that he cares for the fatherless, right? And this inheritance that the father will have to pass on to the son or the daughter in this case, um, also, if there was no daughter, there was uh, the nearest relative, right, that, that received the inheritance. And this mirrored, hear this, this mirrored individually in individual families what was meant to be true corporately god was giving an inheritance to his firstborn son exodus 4:22 israel right and they were going to come into this land and at the end of this chapter the lord is going to say going to show that joshua again is that guy right he is the new moses he is the new uh, leader for Israel who's going to lead them into the promised land. Remember, Moses is of the first generation, so he is not going to make it, right? And without him, hear this, the text is going to say they will be like sheep without a shepherd, right? Sheep without a shepherd, something the Lord Jesus said often. And so Joshua is going to be commissioned with the Holy Spirit to bring God's people into God's place under God's rule, right? 
and God's people need this spirit endowed leader and the people um, need an obedient representative head who can secure for them the promises of God. Listen, the entire story of the Bible is God seeking to confer his grace on a holy people in a holy land by means of an obedient federal representative for the praise of his glory, right? And we see in Numbers 28 that God is going to speak of the consecration of the people of God. And he's like, yo, when you get into the land, these offerings are supposed to take place to purify you and to set you apart as my special people whom I love. Um, And, you know, God is preparing his people for their inheritance, right? Something he gives and something they gain, right? God has to give this inheritance to his people. They cannot achieve it by their own means. He is going to do it because of his promises that he made in the past. And we can be confident today that even when we sin, even when people fall away, even when we see rebellion and idolatry in the wilderness, that God's grace is greater still and that he has made promises that he still has to fulfill. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Uh, we ask that we remember and see these things as warnings to us to live in a way that pleases you until we receive our ultimate end.